Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hi friends, today we have a uh, live podcast that Suzanne Stabile, our, our friend Suzanne Stabile did uh, in Austin, which is pretty amazing. Uh, don't you think so? I do. I do think so. Hey, yeah. you guys don't know who that voice is. That's the intern. Hi, I'm the intern. The intern's voice. You were at the, po- you were at the podcast. I was. I, I filmed part of it. You filmed it? Yeah, you told me to. I never sent it to you, though. Well, give it to me, and I'll, I'll post it online when I post this. Okay, okay so uh, we're about to have that one with uh, Suzanne Stabile, the author of a new book. Do you know what the name of the new book is? Uh, the Path Between Us. Have you read it? I've read parts of it, yeah. Did you read just the seven stuff because you're a seven? Yes, I did. Gosh, that's why I hired you to be an intern. Okay, thanks, intern. Okay, before we get to uh, Suzanne, uh, let me tell you about the sponsor for this month. It is E3. This is the conference that uh, we had an episode uh, recorded there last year. We're going to have another one this year recorded. It's uh, The E3 is a conference that's about equipping, encouraging, empowering churches and families to have better conversations about faith and sexuality. This year's theme is building community. How can we help our churches be more inclusive, embracing our LGBTQ siblings? So this opportunity, this is an opportunity to provide wide learning. I said that wrong. It provides a wide variety of learning opportunities in addition to general teaching sessions, breakout sessions, table discussion, interviews with LGBTQ Christians sharing our stories. Featured speaker this year, Justin Lee, author of Torn and founder of the Gay Christian Network. And that is the very person that I will be doing a live podcast with. So if you're interested in coming to the E3 conference, obviously there'll be links, uh, a link to this in the show notes where you can find out the event is October 4th through 7th. 2018 in Dallas, Texas at Highland Oaks Church, where my good friend Pat Bills is the preacher. So hopefully you can join me, Sally Gary, Justin Lee, and Pat, and many others for this conference. All right. And without further ado, here is, I think we're going to start with a little bit of my daughter's talking. So here's her talking, Adeline, and then we get Suzanne. Body. Let's go. Can you say hi? Hi. Hi. Hey, Suzanne, you want to join our podcast? Come on! Yeah. Adam, do you know what we say at the beginning of the podcast? Get ready for some, Get ready for some awesome. Yeah, there it is. I feel like I'm like so far away from you. We need to fix this. All right, hey, everyone. How we doing? Thank you all for coming out tonight uh, to celebrate the, the new book. Yeah. Uh, now, this is kind of weird for me. I've done live podcasts before, but never at my home church. And so, uh, hello, friends from my home church. If y'all aren't from Westover, which I see a lot of faces I don't recognize, my name's Luke, and um, my biggest claim to fame is that I was the first guest on her new podcast. <laughs> that is it. That's, that's, a, that's a thing. My... My reason for podcast is that I was on your podcast. Oh, that is that is true. Yeah. The uh, how many of you listen to uh, the Road Back to You podcast? Anyone? Okay. So, fun fact about the Road Back to You is that it actually was recorded for the very first twelve, ten or twelve episodes right over there. Yeah, I mean that was just a fun fact. So, Luke is a seven. It was the first four episodes. It seemed like forever. <laughs> we were learning.
learning. We were learning how to do a podcast, so that's why it felt like 12. Okay. <laughs> now, speaking of 12, when we first met, I don't know if you remember this, I got a phone call from you, and you were saying you wanted to do not just one podcast, but you want to do nine podcasts about the Enneagram, one for each number right. on, on my podcast. And my first thought was, I'm not even sure if this thing called the Enneagram is real. Yeah. Well, you missed it because now I do nine <laughs> on my own. I know. <laughs> but I couldn't hang with you on all night. Like, you, you don't need me. You need to, like, you're like a, a bird flying away. You didn't, I would be a little fetter holding you back. And it's worked out great for you. I don't know that anybody's ever described a seven as a fetter holding somebody back. Well, I like to think that I have uh, exceeded a normal seven, and I've now taken something from every number. <laughs> Is that possible? It was four and not 12. <laughs> but they were outstanding four, weren't they? They were. Were they a lot of fun? No, because we were learning. <laughs> Being with you is always fun. Is that better? That's better. Yeah, good. Okay, so you, I was on your, your new podcast. Yeah, The Enneagram Journey. Which you all listen to, right? Yes. And so your uh, first episode, I was the first episode of your new. You were. I was paying homage. Mm-hmm. I well, was, really. Well, thank you for that homage. yeah. yeah. Okay, um, something happened on that that had never happened on any podcast that I had been on before. You said, as I was a guest on yours, you said, Luke, you can ask me three questions. And I like that a lot, where I get to ask you questions. Now, I've since tried to tell my guests that you can ask me questions and I can like, fix your life. None of my guests have taken me up on that, though. <laughs> For some reason, people go to you and you're like, you, you can like, fix my life. How many of you are here tonight because you're like, uh, I don't want to tell anyone this, but um, I need my marriage to be fixed. And maybe you seem to... <laughs> that was a hypothetical. Don't raise your hand. You know, it's just a raise your hand on that one. But I, one of the best things about being your friend, Suzanne, is I can... Um, I feel like we have the relational uh, history where I can be like, uh, Suzanne, I'm kind of falling apart here. Why am I doing that? Yeah. Yeah. Which... I feel like you act like you're not surprised by that. Um, but so many of us have found the Enneagram and Suzanne's teaching. And Suzanne is one of, and I'm not just trying to butter your bread because you're right here, but of all the teachers I've been around, she is one of the absolute best teachers I've ever experienced hearing their teaching. I mean, she's just an incredible teacher. And obviously the Enneagram is this, uh, this ancient spiritual tradition that has blessed so many of us. So wh- why do you think the Enneagram has created uh, such a, a following where people would come out on a Thursday night to hear about it. What, what is it about the Enneagram that has drawn such attention? Well, um, I, think, uh, I think we are in relationship crisis. Um, I, I think rather than uh, relationships uh, feeding us, they... Um, challenge us, which is okay, but there has to be uh, some comfort in relationships, some safety. And I think we're losing safety in relationship because we don't give them the appropriate amount of time and because we live, or before you know the Enneagram, you live with the illusion that we're pretty much all the same. 
And we're not the same. And we don't see in the same way. And we don't want the same outcome from conversations and from experience. And so I think what happens is, um, in this instance, I think the culture is reflecting what's happening among us at home. And it's a bad reflection. And I think we want to find our way back to one another, and we don't quite know how. And the Enneagram is kind of like breadcrumbs. Hmm. So um, I've been, you know, this isn't really my life's dream. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, you know, I wanted to coach college basketball, and I got to. And then I wanted to teach theology, and I got to do that. And n- now I'm... Um, struggling between what I feel called to do, which is this, and wanting to spend more time with my husband and my children and my grandchildren. And when you know what's yours to do, if you don't do it, there's no peace in doing something else. So you might as well get on it and do that. But I I couldn't do it if I didn't feel like um, it made a significant difference at a significant time. So... um, I think everybody wants to do better. I think people want to be better. So you're about to have a book come out, and then you're going to have another one that follows that. And here's what you're going to do that you probably wouldn't want to talk to people about, so I'll just handle that for you. You're going to decide how to sign books and what you're going to say and how you're going to sign your name and how you're going to do it fast. I practiced on an airplane. Okay. So... um, (laughs) I thought a lot about, because, you know, I'm so relational, like I want to write a little love note to everybody, or I want to <laughs> talk about, once I know your number, how you could be happier or how you could do better with your number. And um, my people, which tonight y'all will meet my oldest daughter, my oldest son, and my oldest grandson, because they're all with me on this trip. But um, I'm signing this book, Seeking and Sowing Compassion. Hmm. because um, we're in trouble if we don't find a way for civil discourse again. You know, we've just stopped talking to each other because we're so divided into our different tribes. And that can't get us where we're supposed to be headed. Um, So I think the Enneagram helps, and I think this book will help in particular. (coughs) So this was a great book. I, I really enjoyed reading it uh, this, this past week. Um, and obviously it's about connecting people to other numbers who are different from them, getting to know yourself, but also getting to know the people around you. Right. I would assume the very, the, the two things I would assume most people are going to the Enneagram for is one, to under, understand themselves, and two is how do I understand that person over there? Right. And so obviously you give a lot of like really neat sort of, hey, if you're a, a nine and, and you see a four, this is how you relate to them. If, if you're a seven and your sidekick is an eight, this is the reason you all get together so well because you don't have any feelings at all and it's just <laughs> thinking and doing, which I was like, oh, that's the reason me and Scott get along so well. Um, when you're writing this book, your intention is so that you can help people connect and have compassion towards each other? I hope so, and I hope um, there's some good, easy access to tools for conflict resolution. And I hope there's some information that would encourage you to have respect for people who see differently than you do instead of us kind of making our way through life with I'm right and you're wrong and 
we're right and they're wrong, and um, I, I, we just have to do better. Mm -hmm. We we have to do better than that. And I, I, um, Will, where are you? Will you stand up? So that's my oldest grandson, and he's about to finish the sixth grade. Yeah. And so that face and that kid uh, are among the reasons that I get on airplanes. <coughs> because I don't want him to grow up in a world that is filled with anxiety and anger. And um, that's what we're modeling. We're modeling that some people are in and some are out and some are good and some are bad and some are right and some are wrong. And until that model becomes, we're all in this together and um, we all have something different and unique to bring to the table, then I'm concerned that our division will um, cost us more than we can stand to lose. I think we've all experienced, uh, for those of us who've gotten to know the Enneagram to some degree or another, we've seen how it makes us understand ourselves better. Yeah. It makes us understand maybe our significant other better. When you're talking more on a, um, a nationwide, uh, worldwide sphere or circle of influence, how, how do you see it translating into that large of uh, community and culture? How, how does the Enneagram help on that sort of grand scale, like Republican versus Democrat kind of level? Uh, well, so far it's not helping much. <laughs> That's because uh, your book's only been out for a few there weeks. There you go. That, that, that must be it. That's true. Um, I, th I think we honestly operate from the assumption that we're all seeing and experiencing the same thing, and some people are just not as smart as we are. Right? Isn't that kind of how you're experiencing life? It's like... We don't say about other people that's interesting. We say about other people that's ridiculous. We don't say, tell me more. We say, let me tell you how it is. We don't ask questions. We make statements, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are people who are very concerned about the Enneagram being reductive. And I, I actually think it's quite expansive. Reductive, for me, would be thinking that we're all pretty much the same. And expansive would be understanding that in relationship to the three centers of intelligence which we're all operating from in terms of thinking, feeling, and doing, we need all three of those to make our way in the world. And we are literally all using two of the three because we don't know any different, which is why we're tired and impatient and um, unkind and opinionated. You know, the definition of opinion is underdeveloped thinking. And we've all got a whole bunch of them. And I believe, for those of us who are Christian, that uh, actually everybody's going to be at the table. Yeah. So since I'm in a Church of Christ, I'm going to tell you a Church of Christ story. We're going to come back to how we only use two out of the three. All right, centers. that's good. Okay. You want to go now because you're nervous about no, me I'm, telling a truth. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I want to keep my job. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm nervous. <laughs> I know what you... Go ahead. 
we can chit-chat or no. say something meaningful. We can do whatever you want to do. It would make me feel like you're a good friend if, <laughs> if, you, didn't, if you didn't get me fired. <laughs> okay. Well, I am a good friend, and you shouldn't be fired because you are doing a really good job at what you do. So there's that. I feel like Jeb, like, clap now, guys. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, Church Christ story, let's hear it. I'm from Floyd Ada, Texas, mm-hmm. right? Thank you. I have Floyd Ada folks here tonight that I haven't <laughs> seen in probably 40 years. 40, probably. Um, anyway, um, in that community, uh, my parents were really close friends with most of the people their age. That's kind of, there was no entertainment and um, they entertained themselves by getting together as friends and building relationships and sharing meals and all that. And uh, my dad practiced medicine there for 57 years, so they were there a very long time. And when I was in college, I happened to be home one weekend, and a woman who I uh, loved a lot, whose name was Mary Hale, died. And it was her funeral that weekend. And she and my mother had been friends for, I don't, I don't know, then, I guess, maybe 50 years, 45 or 50 years. And my mother was whistling, whistling, whistling all morning, which she did when she was happy. So I, um, after a cup of coffee, said, Mom, I, I, why are you whistling? Like, I thought you'd be really sad that Mary died. And Mary went to the Church of Christ, and my mother went to the Methodist Church. And Mother said, oh, I'm just so happy today I can hardly stand it. Because Mary finally knows that I'm going to be in heaven too and that we can be <laughs> friends forever. <laughs> That's a good story. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Feel free to use that. Yeah. We, I have some friends from St. Matthew's who are here tonight. Does that mean there's a chance they get in too? Yeah. I, word has it that everybody's in. Okay. Yeah. It, I, so, if, um, if we just went for a minute with the idea that everybody's in, then the next question would be, well, then how are we going to find our way back to one another? So here's another story about my mother. Uh, there was another woman in Floydata whose name I won't mention because there are people here from Floydata. Um, but, but she was a, uh, really gossiped a lot. Lots of gossip. Clearly not Church of Christ. Uh, we don't do that. Or Methodist. I, you know, who knows who does that. But anyway. The Episcopals. Um, and um, I was probably 16, maybe 15, and I was rah rah about this woman and being judgmental about my mother for being friends with her. And I said, what are you, why are you friends with her? She talks about other people all the time. It's not usually nice. I don't understand that. And my mother said, well, you know, I'm hoping to live here till I die. And if I start eliminating people every time they do something that I don't like, then I'm going to be pretty lonely at the end of my life. And my mother lived to be 92. So all of this duality, all of this either-or stuff, it seems to me uh, we're not getting anywhere talking about 
directly. But I think if we were more conscious of how we see, and if we were more curious about how other people see, then we might find ways to have challenging discussions based on the gift and the difference of how we see, as opposed to living with this illusion that uh, there's one side to things and one answer to questions and that any of us have it at any given time. Yeah. And the Enneagram gives us space to see that everyone's seeing the world through a different set of glasses. Absolutely. I, I, um, I think that if we knew the texture and the fabric of how we could see collectively, we would sign up instantly. It's like, um, did, you, did you ever have to watch black and white TV? You're too young, huh? Is that on Netflix? <laughs> so when I was growing up, um, we had two channels, and TV was only on at night, and it was black and white TV. It seems and like the story's going to end with you walking up the hill to school every day, no. both ways, no, no, seven no, miles of no, snow. No, no, I'm from the panhandle. There are no hills. <laughs> <clears throat> but, but here's how that's going to end. And now uh, we have huge screens and uh, an unending array of talent in creating movies that we can watch and... Um, we get to take pictures of ourselves and our children all the time. And um, I, I think knowing just how you see is like having black and white TV only at night and only two channels. Mm. And the world is so much more than that. And um, we're, we've kind of bought into this thing where we think work is the most important thing that we do and having things and making money and all of that. And, you know, James Finley, who's one of my favorite writers, would say, you can't take any of that through the narrow gate. So we, we need to figure out what kind of matters more than that. And I, I just have to tell you, I meet very few people that I don't find to be extraordinarily interesting. And I meet very few people that I just don't like. Some some but very few because I've got space for people to be different than me hmm. the Enneagram can give us all that space I think that ability to create space in our life for other people absolutely if it's taught well and if you don't take a quiz <laughs> a little snark I like it mm, no, there, there's no shortcut for the Enneagram there is no shortcut so you're going to have to sign up to spend um, eight hours really figuring out what number you are, and then you can move on from there. And I, I you know, I, I think it's transformative in nature. Yeah. But right now I'm doing lots of podcasts and interviews and all that because of the new book. And uh, the question, the consistent question that I get asked when I'm being interviewed makes me so sad. It is. What's dangerous about the Enneagram? And that's how people say it. What's dangerous about the Enneagram? And um, 
Don't you hate that when your phone rings right in the middle of somebody else's something? <laughs> Here's what I've decided. Who, what number if, would handle that the best? Uh, I'm handling it right now for whatever number it is. <laughs> because here's what I've decided to do. If my phone ever rings while Joe Stabile's preaching, mm -hmm. it's just not going to be good. So I've decided that if that ever happens and my phone rings during church, I'm just going to look at the person next to me. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. So whoever's phone that was, I suggest you just blame the person next to you. <laughs> so uh, what was I talking about? Something the danger. Of the oh, the danger. The danger of the Enneagram. I do think there's a danger. And the danger is that you take it too seriously. You know, it's just one spiritual wisdom tool. It's just one. It's a really good one. I like it a lot. I actually think it's better if you have other spiritual practices that you combine with Enneagram wisdom. And I, I think it gets to be a little tedious and a little boring if you don't. What, and, other, what other spiritual practices or things that you're adding to mix in with your, the Enneagram? You well, personally. Well, my, my practice is I do, a, I do a contemplative sit every morning. If I don't do anything else. Well, that's not true. After coffee. <laughs> I, if I don't do anything else, I do that. And if I'm tired and I have the space, I do one about 6.15 or 6.30 in the morning. I do another one about 4.30 in the afternoon. The 4.30 in the afternoon one, Joe asked me to do, because it's hard for me to behave on one that from 6.30. You know, <laughs> kind of wears off by yeah, then. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, but but um, <laughs> I also read a lot, mm -hmm. and I read people I disagree with so that I'm not caught in... Um, thinking I've got the corner on the market. And I read people who are my number. And uh, I read memoirs because I'm my number. And, you know, I live with Joe Stabile. So uh, if, if y'all don't know, he's the best human being I've ever met. And um, he's holy. Uh, an old priest told us that the definition of holiness is an open heart and pure intentions. Hmm. And I, I've never known Joe to not have both. I, on the other hand, <laughs> don't, don't quite fit the bill, but um, yeah. he, uh, he does uh, Liturgy of the Hours every day. And, uh, you know, that's a lot. Like, that, that's a lot if you do the priest version. It's like every hour. It's a big thing. I have a shortened version. Yeah. <laughs> like I do. Uh, it's called Liturgy of the Hours, and it's by Thomas Merton pulled it together. And it's, you know, I, I can do it. Five mm -hmm. minutes. Golden. That's, that's doable. And he's, uh, Joe, he's, he's holy. He he's is saintly. holy. Yeah, that's good. Speaking of Merton, he said, um, to be a saint means to be my truest self. Yeah. Which, you know, for many of us, the Enneagram has helped us see what our truest self is. And to understand who we are, who we're created to be, what God intended for us to be. So, you know, I actually spend my time teaching people about who they're not. Really? Yeah. Because uh, underneath your personality is your truest self. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you know how to get rid of that personality stuff. Like, how do you know that your sevenness just needs to kind of take a break so that what's underneath that? can be available to your wife and your little girls and your parish. You know, I'm, I'm all about um, kind of trying to allow my personality to 
stand down or step aside or fall away, but you, you can't do that unless you know what your personality is. And, and I, I had no idea that I was just using feeling and doing and that I was thinking repressed. Mm -hmm. really kind of hurt my feelings. <laughs> I went to a therapist and he asked me my feelings once and uh, I said, huh, I'll think about it. I don't know. That's um, it, exactly. I think my feelings might be this. Okay, you, you said earlier, which before you tried to get me fired with the Church of Christ story, hey. and we went down the road. Um, but originally the question was two out of three. Yeah. Okay. For some of us, that's, you know, we've heard the Enneagram teaching on that. It makes sense. How do you get, like for you, the third, which is the thinking? Yeah. How, like, how, like, as we're trying to become whole, how are we getting there? What, what does the Enneagram do to help us get to every facet of who we're created to be? Well, um, I think we uh, have to stop being defensive about um, what we don't have on board. You know, I, it's, it's easy to get all whipped up about some system that would say that I'm thinking repressed or that you're feeling repressed. And the sad thing is you can make your way in the world with two of the three without um, knowing it, but with other people trying to give you that message all along the way. So uh, at Life in the Trinity Ministries, we have bracelets that say either what are you thinking or what are you feeling or what are you doing. You, with your humor and um, tendency toward um, exacerbating the truth that you're fighting, would probably choose a what are you doing bracelet. Mm -hmm. So uh, <laughs> you could just support what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So um, Makes sense. Here's what I think God did for you. You're feeling repressed, so God gave you a wife and three daughters. <laughs> Those are true statements. And uh, God gave me uh, children who are smart. My kids are really smart. And uh, they love well. And people who want me to offer something helpful. I can't do that with feeling and doing. I can only do that if I work on bringing up thinking. And, um, you know, I don't have time to teach the whole thing, but th there are available times for you to come learn. <laughs> um, and there's recorded material that will help you, of course. But the one mm -hmm. thing that I would say that I think is super important is that um, once you do bring up your repressed center, so if you don't... If you're not dialed into what we're talking about because you haven't done that much Enneagram work, let me just help with that. But don't get mad at me. Three sevens and eights are feeling repressed. And fours, fives, and nines are doing repressed. And ones, twos, and sixes are thinking repressed. And I'm going to run through all nine numbers so those of you who are giving me a, the evil eye uh, will relax a little. So fours, fives, and nines, I know that you think you do all the time. In fours, you do the things that you love to do. But unless you're doing your work, you're not taking out the trash. You may not be paying the bills on time. You're not doing a lot of things that have to be done because they're not exciting. And fives, you plan to do, right? Your doing is about planning to do something. But that's not the same thing as doing. And you plan so long that it's too late to do that. So then you have another project and you plan and plan and plan and then it, another and another. And nines are doing something all the time, and sometimes it's what needs to be done. 
<laughs> Even if you're a saint like Joseph Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, three sevens and eights. Oh, can I interrupt? This is awesome, watching people like, getting their mail read. Yeah. This is so much fun. Keep I'm going. not looking at them. <laughs> I am. I'm looking uh, at every one of you. All right. Where's my nines? All right. So three sevens and eights are feeling repressed. And threes um, take in information with feelings, but they don't use feelings to process the information that they've taken in. So they, they think they're feeling, but they're not. Sevens have a half range of feelings, and it's the happy half. You know, I met somebody about two weeks ago or three, somewhere on the road, who said, I'm not feeling repressed. I'm negative feeling repressed. <laughs> Which I like a lot. Can I interrupt? Yeah, of course. I have a, th- a three that I work with. I'm not going to say Brent's name, but he's a three that I work with. <laughs> and we were trying to do like a lament service. And we're trying to like get him to, get him to f- like, like get yourself in a sad mo- moment. He goes, oh, like kind of like at the end of Toy Story. And I was like, that's as, like, that's as much neg- like yeah. darkness that he has. He's got a great life. But uh, yeah. Where's Lindsay? Lindsay. It's bedtime for the girls. Oh, okay. Tell her I said I'm so sorry. I'm not because I know you're going to make her tell a story on me. So I'm glad that happened. All right. So here we go. So you think that because you have a half range of emotions that you've got what you need. And that's just not true. And eights count passion as feelings. Mm -hmm. And passion is a feeling, but there are lots of others that are required to go with that. So, ones, twos, and sixes. Ones, uh, I know that you think you think all the time. Ones generally kind of fold up and decide that I don't really know what I'm talking about, and they're not coming back when I say (laughs) that they're thinking repressed. So, uh, those voices that you hear, that you have that internal dialogue with all the time, that's not productive thinking. That's literally conversations with voices that nobody else hears. So you need to figure out a way to put those voices in a place where they can stand aside so that you can think productively about how good you are and about how capable you are of doing things well in the world. Um, Twos believe that they think all the time. We believe that we think all the time, and we do. But 85% of that thinking, approximately 85%, is that we spend all that time thinking about relationships. Well, there are other things that require a little bit of thought besides relationships, which we just think about all the time, over and over and over and over. And uh, sixes. Productive thinking would be learning to not use your energy to make plans for handling things that are probably not going to happen. And the way you learn to uh, evaluate How much time you've spent planning for things that didn't happen is by keeping a journal. And at the end of every week, think about the things that you planned for and just make a note of how many happened and how many didn't. And the problem is not about the lack of thinking, feeling, or doing. It's about the lack of balance between all three centers of intelligence. And that lack of balance means that we are doing life... um, it's kind of like sitting on a three-legged stool that only has two legs. It's just exhausting. It's just exhausting. Now, here, though, is the beautiful part of the mystical Enneagram. 
When you bring up your repressed center, it's the purest part of you. So when you do share feelings, they're pure feelings. When I do think, because you stop using that center between the ages of five and eight, and it kind of just pulls back here, and, and it's not harmed by all the things that we experience in the world, and it's also not mature. So you kind of have to grow it once you're aware that you need to bring it up. But when you begin to do that, it, it's, the, it's the very best part of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, uh, I was talking to uh, your old buddy Ian on his podcast, and uh, he was asking me, um, like, what do I feel? And I was like, well, not much. Um, and then he goes, like, w- like, when was the last time you were sad? And so we started talking through uh, a situation, and then I told him that I actually have a, a playlist on Spotify that's just called Sad. And it's just a, a, a list of sad songs. And one of the, uh, the artists who's on there the most, uh, it's a band called Frightened Rabbits. And the, uh, the lead singer of the band uh, committed suicide last, or his body was found last Friday. And uh, so obviously that's heartbreaking news and, and everything that he had to go through um, that ended up in that situation for him is, is terrifying. Um, but unless you've gone through some real stuff, you don't end your life like he did. And uh, the way, the, the reason I connected to his music, and I still connect to, connect to his music so much, is because there's a level of authenticity that, that yeah. says something that I know is in there, and I, I'm trying to access it. And I can't always access it on my own. And I need people who can help kind of like point me down a path. And so music like that does that for me. Like it, it gets me to a place that I know I need to be, but I can't get there on my own. Right. And so... Uh, what are you going to use to get you to the place that you need to be to have balance? So ones, you need to read people that you disagree with. That'll help you think differently. And twos, you need to ask yourself lots of questions before you go help other people because not everybody wants your help. (laughs) And you need to know what's yours to do instead of what makes you feel good when you do it. And threes, feelings have... um, have value in deciding what to do with what you've experienced, not just in naming what you've experienced. And threes get to moving too fast, and you cannot lead a group that you haven't joined. And so you're going to have to slow down a little bit and use feelings through an entire process. Threes actually have more trouble identifying their own feelings and the feelings of other people than any other number. Fours, um, I think, uh, can find real beauty in what is mundane. And then they can teach the rest of us. So um, I I have a favorite story that I tell about being in Jackson, Mississippi, where I teach uh, twice a year, every year. And uh, there's a woman there who's been doing anti-rem work longer than I have, and she um, is older and... In Jackson, Mississippi, um, they don't like to ask questions in front of each other. <laughs> they, they all kind of want to ask me one-on-one so nobody else hears their question. Mm-hmm. And um, that means there's usually a pretty good line of people waiting to ask me a question. And I, I noticed that she was in line a couple of years ago, and uh, Jackson had just gotten their first Whole Foods grocery store. Now, you know, Whole Foods uh, would be very attractive for fours. There's a lot of beauty in Whole Foods. There's a lot of texture in the way the food is arranged and the way it's laid out and 
what's available and all that you can do with that. So Whole Foods is a really cool experience if you are uh, a for looking for uh, things that are real and rich and deep. Mm-hmm. And so when she got to me, she said, Susanna, I, I, um, I'm just spiritually really dry. And I, I can't hardly stand it. I don't know what to do. And I've been to my pastor, but it didn't help much. So I knew you were coming. I figured you could help me. So just tell me what spiritual practice to do, and I'll do it, because I don't want to feel this way. I said, okay. You can't go to Whole Foods. You have to go to Kroger. <laughs> 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 and she said, okay. <laughs> so I was back there two weeks later, and uh, I look up, and she's standing in line. And I'm answering questions, and she gets to me, and she's kind of short, and she looked up at me, and she said, does it have to be Kroger? <laughs> So I have a really, really good friend in the room who's a four on the Enneagram who decided to go uh, not to Whole Foods but to a neighborhood grocery store that is um, not quite so expensive. And the beauty that she found there because she was looking for it is astonishing. And so I, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we talk about expectations like they only have to do with feelings. But we expect to see certain things when we go certain places, too. Mm-hmm. And so when you get to see things differently, then um, it's because you allow it, not because you make it happen. Yeah. Fives um, like to be experts at what they do. And they like to read and study and plan and ask questions and do lots of things around doing. And uh, that means that they do less than they could. Um, And they really feel pretty good when they accomplish things, I think. Sixes, you know, I I think we're in a time for sixes right now. I I think different seasons of our lives are for different Enneagram numbers in a way. And um, I think this is a season right now for sixes and nines. And here's my reason for believing that. Because sixes are the number on the Enneagram that are most concerned about the common good. And we've fallen on hard times in terms of us collectively and individually being worried about what's good for everybody. And nines because they see two sides to everything. So you know that in the tradition I come from, uh, we don't uh, think that the numbers are divided like about... 10% of each of the nine numbers, we think that uh, a high percentage of numbers may be as much as 40 or 50 in the world are sixes. And um, I'm I'm comforted right now by the fact that a high percentage of the people in the world are worried about the common good because I'm I'm not sure we all are. Um, Sevens, why don't you talk about sevens being feeling repressed? I think we're all great. Just everyone be a seven. I, no, I, I think when you're talking about fours, I was thinking, I've got a good friend who's a four, and uh, he lives in Australia, which is a great distance for me and my closest four friend. Uh, he's literally on the other side of the world. Um, <laughs> Figuratively and literally. Yeah. Uh, 
I think we, we both are only on half the, the spectrum, right? No. We're, I've got the no. top half. No. <clears throat> no. No. Can I see your book? Can I see your book? So Hold I'll on. keep going through the numbers because he's not going to find what he's looking for. <laughs> so eights on the Enneagram have so much passion. And you know, <clears throat> uh-oh. I'm, I'm feeling very squirmy. What you got? I mean, when you write I'll a book. I'll be back, eights. I'll be back. Four see the glass as half empty. Seven see it as half full. Yeah, that's not about a whole or full. Like that's either side of the spectrum. We're it is that, but fours have a full range of emotions. I'm not saying there's something wrong with fours. I'm just saying they see us half empty, we see this half full. Like that's so aggressive. Or... <laughs> Thank you. Aggressive number. <laughs> dependent number. <laughs> okay, eights. Let's go to eights. Did we finish with sevens? No, like no, but we're going to talk about sevens some more because, and here's why. Because you're willing to be you and not pretend that you are someplace on the journey that you're not. And that's one of the reasons that I respect you so much. And I think we actually, unless there's a crisis, we want pastors to have a happy range of feelings. We want pastors to tell us that everything's going to be great and everything's going to be fine and, and all of that. So I, I think we, we support that in you. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you, if you remember, and if you don't, I do. I want you to talk about what you said on my podcast about how it feels to be expected to be the life of the party all the time. Now, you guys listen up because this is gold. When, you're, when people are used to you coming in the room and you'll tell a joke and, you know, you'll banter with people, they start to expect that to always be the case. And there are times that you don't want to do that. Like, you don't want to turn it on and you want to just not be on. And when that happens, it's sometimes people feel like, like the room has lost all its air and there's an expectation, why don't you pick it back up? And there are times that... Uh, I don't know if I need to speak for all sevens, but want to say, y'all can handle this for yourself. Like, y'all can figure this out. Y'all can make a joke. Y'all can make a conversation. Y'all can make this thing work. And uh, there's not always the grace to let that happen. And if, if you do want to go and talk about lament or the things that you are interested in or doubts or fears, then people ask the question, like, is something wrong with you? And it's not something's wrong with you. It's that you're, like, you're growing as a person. Well, and the, and the other thing you said then that Joel and I quote everywhere is that um, that might be how you start a conversation, but that's not all you've got. Oh, yeah. Right? And I think we uh, kind of don't ask you for the rest of what you've got because we like that happy half. So, you know, I, I told you earlier, and we'll come back and do eights and nines, but I told you earlier that I teach people about who they're not. And so personality is what we put on to make our way in the world, but it covers up who we are and who we were when we arrived on the planet, right? All balanced and, um, and whole and unwounded and not yet wounded. And I, I think um, underneath personality, 
where we uh, are balanced and able to be in the world as our best selves. That's not the self that everybody else loves. Personality is the self that everybody loves. And I used to kind of try to soften that by saying it's personality because uh, people want you to feel good about who you are. People just like you. But I, I, I think when people are evolving and when they're highly evolved, we all get a little antsy about what it would cost us to do that kind of work and to be in that kind of place, right? Mm -hmm. And I think culturally, uh, people don't want helpers to stop helping and people don't want entertainers to stop entertaining. And so we have to make the decision for ourselves that we're going to do what's ours to do and that we're going to um, offer um, the deeper parts of ourselves as we're able to uncover that. So um, Joey just walked out, but my daughter Joey's with me, and she's doing um, some teaching now uh, around the country. And um, <clears throat> she said as an aide that teaching, uh, in order for her teaching to be good and authentic, she has to allow feelings. And so she's really kind of struggling through all this stuff that has to do with feelings. So, um, and nines, I, I, you know, I, I have a daughter who's a nine, a son-in-law who's a nine, and a husband who's a nine. And all I can say is that um, you're doing a lot of things that you don't need to do, and I think you know it. I think you get some satisfaction from just doing something, but knowing that it's not the thing that you're really supposed to be doing. And I think that you give yourself permission to do that because you don't think your presence matters. And your presence does matter. And I, again, I think this is a season for nines. Hmm. That's good. You want to do one or two questions? Sure. And then I've, we'll do some signing? All right. I mean, we, like you. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all about it. I way rather answer questions and sign books, but I'll do both. Okay, so we're going to do questions. Um, but I, like I said, if you have questions for me, I'm more than willing to answer them for you. Okay, I do. Um, how has the Enneagram made you a better human being? I'm glad my wife's not here because I don't know if she would say that I'm a better human being these days. Uh, I'm kidding. She would. Yes. Okay, y'all watch that. We're going to do therapy now. All right. <laughs> Did you see that? That's a, that's a serious question. And so he's kind of doing a, he, the lead in is a, a joke that's a disclaimer <laughs> so mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. there's not that excruciating vulnerability oh. of... Mm -hmm. uh, just answering the Someone question. Someone stop the recording, please. <laughs> Thank you for helping so, me. You're, you're welcome, and I'm standing ready to help again if necessary. Okay. Mm -hmm. I feel it. Uh-huh. Okay. How has it helped me a better person? Um, I think it's, uh, it's named some anxiety that I have. Oh, we're getting somewhere now. Name some anxiety you have. Well, I would say that I, I'm heavily routined with, like, I, I've 
routines that I stick to very uh, strongly, and right. I don't do well when I get off my routine. Right. And the Enneagram has made me think, that's you taking on one, most likely. Right. Or maybe it's a six wing that I have. No, which one. You don't think it's, maybe, I'm trying to read it positively here. It is positive. The high side of one is very positive for you. Thank you. You're welcome. And it's, uh, let me name that and go, you know what, uh, when things don't go the way you want, when they're off schedule, when you're expecting to have something happen and it doesn't happen, it is an invitation to grow. Uh, you don't have to spiral down and feel like your world's falling apart because things don't go the way you want. Uh, this is an invitation for you to feel something, to name that you feel it, to sit there and to not run away from it and jump away from it. And you don't have to distract yourself with ice cream or watching a movie, but you can just feel something for, I mean, it's only a few minutes, but feel it <laughs> for a few minutes and not run from it. A few minutes is, is, is good. It's an eternity for me. So... Um, what do you wish people knew about your number? Mm. That just because there's a joke, it doesn't mean there's not substance underneath it. Okay. Just because there's sizzle doesn't mean there's not a steak that's going to come along with it. <laughs> you know that. You know, I think that just because people can hear a joke doesn't mean that there's not more substance to it. Okay. And, and do you want them to go for the substance? Yeah. Good, then you must be very happy with this interview with me. This has been really good. <laughs> this is good. I know what playlist I'm going to play on the way home from this. This <laughs> sad playlist. It's perfect. All right, that's enough of that. A um, couple questions. Well, um, I think you, I, I'll come back to snap, but I think you, um, I think actually you need to not care if he's unhappy with you. So, um, I don't, I don't think we stop. So snap is stop, notice, ask, pivot. And I don't think we stop when we're parenting. It's like, uh, it, it feels to me like unless it's a very intentional moment, most of parenting is habitual, predictable behavior. Because most of parenting is your personality and not your essence, right? And um, Henry Nouwen was a two on the Enneagram. He wrote a a really interesting article a long time ago, uh, and the title is Compassion Not Without Confrontation. So I think when you stop um, 
then you recognize that probably your seven son is using uh, humor and manipulation to get his way. And it's easier to just go with it, right? Um, and it kind of catches you off guard. So one of Joel's favorite um, tools of manipulation and control was to talk about my bingo wings, he called them. <laughs> so, you know, Joel's 6'3", and I often parented him like this. And he would say, I hear you, Mom. Thank you. So now here's what I learned from that. Looking back, I think most of those times were times when I was just over the top. So looking back, I think those were invitations for me to meet him at a more reasonable place. Because we tend to go as far from center as we find our children's be. Um, I think you have to notice what's going on, whether or not uh, people are backing up from you or what you're feeling. And then the question is the most important, right? And the question, the first question is, what is the story I'm telling myself right now? And for us as twos, the story we tell ourselves is, if I hold the line here and parent like I'm supposed to, then this child isn't going to love me and isn't going to want me and, 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 and. And then you follow with what is the story I'm telling myself right now. Then you, then you say, is it true? That's the second question. And then the third question is, is it really true? Because we all lie to ourselves and say, yes, the story I'm telling myself is true. <laughs> and pivot doesn't mean kind of just just edge to the side a little. Pivot means you turn and go a different direction. And I think parenting requires, I think life requires, that we catch ourselves in, in the middle of action that's not productive and we go a different direction. And I think as twos, um, we have to be very careful about trying to do everything in real time. So I think you say, um, after you stop, you know I'm going to need five minutes. And then you can get yourself together so that, and I'm, I'm talking to myself, I don't want to be offensive. And then you ask yourself, do I want to be the best parent I can be or do I just want him to love me? And my thing would be that at the end of the day, if you're the best parent you can be, that will be what he loves you for as an adult. But on his side, when you uh, tell a seven something they don't want to hear, when they don't get their way, particularly young sevens, it just sucks the air out of the room. Like they, they um, we used to say to Joel, you pout all the time. And he, he wouldn't see it that way, and I'm not sure I do anymore either, but all the energy leaves the room. And so I think we selfishly give in to sevens, actually, because we don't want to put ourselves through that. <laughs> and it's to you. Yeah. Um, so my question for you 
bad feeling. What kind of support do you do you need to invest in? I, I would say I don't want to be the life of the party when I'm sad. I think there are just times I just like I'm I'm just done. I, I just don't want to do it, and I'm not. Um, it's not because of like I, I'm upset about something. It's just yeah, I, I, I don't want to be on right now. And for me, I usually like Fridays. I usually don't see people, and uh, obviously my family and my kids and all that. But usually Fridays are like that's that's me. Uh, and so f- for for me, it's just give me space. Uh, I, I think you even says in the book that that sevens really like being around people, but they really value their time alone. Is that in your book? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, so just give him space. It's not always because he's, I, I can't speak for him. For me, it's not always, I'm not always upset or I just, I, I understand what I need in my, I, I need time. So, and space. So just. So when it's obvious that there are some negative feelings happening, that mm-hmm. you're not wanting to have, yeah. what's the best support? None. Why would you say none? Because she's a two. Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up with a psychologist, so um, that was my father. Yeah. The, uh, the book that was flashing through my head is Erwin Freeman's book, The Well-Differentiated Leader. And uh, sometimes you just got to step away and uh, differentiate yourself from the uh, conflict. You're a therapist. You know that already. So anyway, let's do one more. And then uh, we can get uh, some more books signed. Yeah, since you're so nice and shared your book. <laughs> always there okay, l- let me say that for the podcast uh, question is how do you how do you get away from the anxiety um, when you don't have the time for centering that you want and the question was asked by a six so. how old are the children um, 14, 19, 4. Mm. bless you of course they are I'm just trying to find you some time during the day and it's not going to go as well as I'd hoped <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I think everybody has to have an inner place where they can breathe in order to make good decisions and um, if you can have five minutes then that's better than none and if you can have five minutes at any time during the day, then you should take it for you and not for doing dishes and making beds and doing laundry and picking up the house. So the first thing is discipline yourself to take any downtime that you get for you. Um, Teresa of Avila was probably a nine on the Enneagram, but she had some significant experiences uh, 
with Jesus, mystical experiences. And she writes beautifully about this interior castle that that created inside of her. So my husband, Joe, was a Catholic priest before I got him. And um, <laughs> um, and uh, he went to high school seminary at 14. And he was with the Vincentian Fathers until he was 40. And he's had a spiritual director since he was 14. And tomorrow, or Saturday, he's not here because he's teaching classical spiritual disciplines and practices. So he's got a castle. I don't have a castle. But I've got an efficiency apartment. <laughs> and I, I can breathe there. And if I can breathe before I respond, if I stop and I can breathe, then my responses are different. We're all wounded. All children are wounded. You've already wounded them, so give that up. Like, it's, it's, art, it's done. And one of the things that, that breaks my heart about sixes is that you don't trust yourself. And I trust you. you. You need to recognize that you are far more trustworthy than you think and that your thinking is far more trustworthy than you believe and that you know exactly what to do and when to do it. And if you'll let go of all that angst you have, and of the anxiety you have, that'll create more, a little more space where you can breathe. Hmm. Oh, 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 yeah. We're getting uh, requests from the yes, audience now. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Play track two, please. <laughs> uh, all right. The, the faith and courage thing that she wants you to hear is this. Six is believe that what they need is courage. So they're always kind of mustering up, try to be, trying to be more courageous, right? What you really need is faith. Faith that there's something bigger than you and faith in yourself. So um, when you have 10 minutes, take the first five to just be and breathe and take the second five to write down all the things about you that prove to you that you're very capable and very smart and that you're making significant contributions to the world beyond a four-year-old and a 14-month-old. Yeah. I'm, and just know that I'm going to give one of my minutes out of my 20 to you. <laughs> you know, we forget what it's like. We old folks forget what it's like to have little bitties and no time to breathe. I will give you a little secret, though. When they get a little older, if you, want, if you want them and they aren't where you can find them, just go to the bathroom. They always come. <laughs> it's the same advice. thing as calling them. I, I feel like we should end on that. I, you can't get better advice than that. All right, well, thank you all for coming out. Suzanne, uh, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's Thanks for checking out Newsworthy. It's so honoring. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.